0: Oh, welcome to the One Inch Barrier. I am your host Juan Carlos Ojano. I hope you're all staying safe and staying healthy and staying at home. Um, a quick reminder before we begin, the Patreon page is already up so you can check that page out for like perks of being a subscriber or a supporter of this podcast. There's so many great things that will come. There you go. <laughs> so uh, for this episode we're going to talk about I mentioned in All About My Mother that All About My Mother is one of the two most well-known winners of this category for this decade of the 90s. This is the other one. (laughs) So for this episode, we're going to talk about the film that won Best Foreign Language Film at the 71st Academy Awards. That film is Life is Beautiful or in its original language, La Vita e Bella. It is written by, directed by... And starring Roberta Benigni, so this was Italy's tenth win and twenty sixth nomination. So for a quick recap of what the film is about, the film is about Guido Orefice, a Jewish man who kept on having this um, serendipitous encounters with Dora, a school teacher who is not a Jew, and then it plays out like a romantic comedy, which ended up Guido and Dora eloping on the night of her wedding. And then a few years after, they have a son named Josue. And during that time, the start of the Holocaust is in full speed. Guido and his father and his son are captured by the Nazis and brought to the concentration camp. And then Dora decided to come with the family, albeit separated. Does that make sense? Like She she comes with a family to go to the concentration camp, but they're separated because of segregation. And then Guido finds his way of protecting his son from the horrors of the war by using the humor that he has, being the jokester that he is. And that's Life is Beautiful. I had no script summarizing that film is all in my memory so i hope that worked so our guest for this episode is from the united kingdom he is a writer a sub-editor and podcast producer and he is also the writer of a film retrospective called international oscar showdown i'm gonna let him expound on that later please welcome mr tim kimber hi
1: hello how are you doing
0: i am still here and that's what (laughs) matters um thank you so much for coming to the show and um yeah thank you
1: <laughs> thank you very much for inviting me it's uh, it's quite an honor um i hope i yes. can uh, be as incisive as your previous episodes there's been some um, really good ones
0: we'll be fine in this episode don't <laughs> worry about it and um lots to talk yeah, about um can you yes um can you tell our listeners where can they find you and your work
1: uh yeah i um my main thing at the moment is this international oscar showdown which um is uh A series published on Medium, um, but there's a kind of a landing page on internationaloscarshowdown.wordpress.com. And it's basically, um, everyone knows how uh, Parasite made groundbreaking uh, triumph at at this year's Oscars by winning the uh, Best Picture um, as well as the uh, Best Foreign Language Film. And it's the first time that's ever happened. And it made me think how many times has the best picture winner been looked over, you know, um, egregiously, because um, it feels like something that the Academy has probably um, neglected to look into. And there's only been a handful, maybe you could count them on your, on your fingers, how many foreign language films have been nominated for the, for the best picture. So it seems to me they, mu- they if you win that category, if you win best foreign language film, you should get an instant pass into a nomination for best picture because you're you're the best of the entire world that's not in english so that's what that was the inspiration um so I went through and uh i was um re- uh comparing each best picture with each um best foreign language film winner to see which ones uh were um unduly passed over should we say
0: there you go and that's the reason why you're here I mean when I saw your series I'm like I want to talk to this person <laughs> <laughs> because it's rare that you find people on the internet taking interest in like you know the foreign language from category and I'm so thrilled like oh my gosh if we just get the chance to talk to mr. Kemper and, and like we're here and you're correct like counting in the, in the fingers I counted ten those are mm. the only nominees, foreign language film nominees, oh, except Babel and that is from Iwo Jima, if you're going to count them. But mm. true non-American, non-English films that were nominated are 10.
1: Right. At this point, I mean, that,
0: like 92. That, e- yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. 90 or so um, iterations. Because I think they started it in the 1950s, didn't they? The um, best foreign language film.
0: Yes, they started in 56. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and I'm so happy that you're putting a spotlight on this category and and the two, because and this was a great year to do that because yeah, our film this year is nominated for foreign language film and best picture,
1: and also um the the protagonist uh Roberto Benini gets um he was nominated for uh, best a- best actor as well, which is yeah, also fairly rare, right?
0: Yeah, is that rare. <laughs> yeah. I mean in terms of like best actress there's only two winners and I didn't count an actor because I usually just care about actresses <laughs> but so who were um, they who was that who was that Ah uh, Sophia Loren for Two Women and Marion Cotillard in La Vie en Rose Right okay
1: yeah that's interesting uh, Yeah so for um for Roberto Bellini to get that I think is is quite astonishing There there was also um the woman in Amour, um, who was nominated, um, and I believe she remains the oldest yeah. woman to be um, nominated for a Best Actress Award. But again, there's just not that many of them.
0: Yeah, and I'm looking at it and in terms of Best Actor, yes, Roberta Benigni is the only one from a non-English language performance in a non-English language film to win Best Actor. And it's um, a an aty- at- atypical win for that matter so we're gonna discuss that later Mm. um please be sure to check his international oscar showdown because it's such a great read it's always insightful like i love when i read it love it all right (laughs) so um yeah usually just i usually say like oh what are your general thoughts but i am interested to know like what is your first experience or do you remember your first experience of watching life is beautiful yeah i
1: do actually um i uh, this was it, i didn't see it when it first came out so it wasn't in the 90s in fact it was when um my wife introduced me to the film many years ago before we were married and um and she did me a very good favor and basically said you gotta watch this film and didn't tell me anything about it which is to be honest such a gift because I didn't know anything that it was going to be about fascism. I didn't know it was going to be about concentration camps at first. I thought it was just a nice comedy set in the thirties in Italy. I'm like, okay, there's a few obvious uh, little hints of something um, in the background, but I did not see the latter half of the film coming. And it was, um, I'm so grateful for that. You know, when you, uh, when someone just, just spoils the films somehow, uh or even the trailers. I try not to watch trailers of um films uh because they especially these days they tend to tell you everything about the story and um and I don't think I would have wanted to watch um I'd, well it it just having that surprise uh really made it special for me um so I really enjoyed it, and then we watched it again together um uh, a few nights ago, uh, just to remind ourselves of, uh, of how good it was. And it is just, it's a wonderful film. Uh, that's the, that's the one thing I always keep, my every time someone um, I'm trying to talk about this film, I get the title mixed up with, um, it's a wonderful life. Mm-hmm. So if I say that you have to pick me up cause it's, it's life is beautiful. It's not one. it's a wonderful life. Life is beautiful. Um, but yeah, so, uh, it's a it's a great film and um what about you do you remember seeing it when it was out or when when did you see it
0: well i was um i was three years old when it was in a cinema so i wasn't able to watch it there <laughs> um but you know my mom dragged me to some um inappropriate films for my age at the time i remember like watching films about adultery in the cinema I was like what is happening on the screen but mm. um <laughs> hmm, I, I first watched life is beautiful i think when i was a 13 14 years old that was when um my aunt um goaded me to become like this Oscar person because I because I think um I was already like a film fan at the time but I was avoiding non-local films because I thought I could not understand non-local films but then you know we started like watching Oscar films so when I go to video stores when we still had video stores oh my gosh how old am i um, <laughs> I look for all of the films with like the Oscar trophy in the cover, and I'm like, oh, there's an Oscar trophy. I would buy that, and I had no freaking idea what this film is about. Um, That's great. Same thing with you. I usually prefer to not watch trailers. Um, the same thing. I, what I did with Parasite, no trailers, no synopsis, just like all right they won't palm door or whatever i'm just gonna watch it and <laughs> um, you know that feeling of like not knowing anything like everything's on a table because when you watch certain things or like even posters or trailers or synopsis you already have an expectation when you watch it and i don't know if that is the best thing um of way of watching films i like it when it's being surprised um, and yeah, oh my gosh, you said that you were inspired by Parasite in your um international Oscar showdown. I was inspired by Parasite for this podcast. So like, yes, Parasite's yeah. effects. Ooh. <laughs> um Yeah. Um when I watched Life is Beautiful, I remember okay. This I I remember watching it after going to school. I did not know what was gonna happen. I just thought, oh, this is fun. Comedy. Mm. Love it. Mm. And I was so proud of myself. I'm like Oh my gosh! This is my this is my first foreign language film ever. Like I'm reading subtitles. I'm a true cinephile at this point. Like no one is around me has seen it. Like I am on another level here, um, which is wrong because what happened is that I was so emotionally wrecked when I watched it. (sighs) I had a fever afterwards, and then I don't know if I was able to go to school the following day. I had a fever. I remember crying uncontrollably and I was watching it on our living room. So, and I was wearing like headphones. So no one was understanding what was happening to me, but I was hyperventilating because tears, gosh, tears. And that was just, um, I was counting like maybe three or four years after my father passed away. So I'm like, oh my gosh i'm being confronted right now with these things (laughs) with this film um so yeah that's i remember that because i was sick after i watched it um i'm gonna i asked that because what is your experience now watching it um well
1: it, it still has just as much um power over me you know um And also, there was some bits that I completely missed, like, um, I don't know why, but uh, the second time the um, Roberto's walking through the smog, um, it's the big reveal of the film, and he comes across the the piles of um, bodies. I had blanked that out, so that was really quite uh, powerful, seeing that again, because I didn't think there was going to be any surprises, and there still was and uh yeah, I just thought oh my God, it really guts you because um there's so many laughs in the in the film genuine real belly laughs and um and it it has the most um gut wrenching horrors uh at the same time so it it has just as much power but furthermore the um I now have a son I had a son a year and a half ago and um he uh, he's amazing um but watching the final scene and seeing the little boy uh just pleased as punch he's made it out and he thinks he's won the game um he thinks he's won a tank and uh, that really, that made me cry all over again in a completely different way um but yeah that was a lot of films are sort of a, are affecting me slightly differently nowadays, um, and uh, yeah, that one, crikey, it really, uh, it really hit me in the in the feels. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't, I would not have known like your perspective on it because it's like now you're also a father, so like, oh my gosh! But you know, for me, my perspective on it, I had two things that I noticed. Now, the first one is. I, the scene that you mentioned, I did not know that that was the first scene of the film. I mean, they did not immediately yeah, it's show callback, the bodies, but that walking in the fog, yeah. Yeah, so there's that scene that, for me now, I was like, oh, wow. Um, that opening scene and that narration immediately, it, it changes my perspective on the film. Because... Before I only recall the film having a narration at the end, I did not realize that there was a narration at the beginning. Which leads me to my second right. part is that what did you think of the comedy of the slaps to comedy? Because the film commits half of its time in the pure comedy part. I mean, like I said, there were sprinkles of like small moments of tension, but. The first half of the film, it's not even like the first third. The first half no. really shows Guido in his comedic antics. What do you think of that
1: part? Um, I mean, I love it. The, the funny thing about that is when the film starts, it reminded me of this uh, UK TV show from the 70s and 80s. Um, your UK listeners will know it. Um, Last of the Summer Wine. In which two, I think it's three old chaps from Yorkshire uh, get into hijinks, and um, it became kind of a cliche. At the end of the film, they always were in a. At the end of each episode, they were always in a um, some sort of vehicle that had lost its way and was hurtling down a field in the countryside, like a bath on wheels or something like that. Um, and I was what, the first bit of this uh, of this film um it reminded me of that, as the car loses control of the brakes and uh, just veers off over the fields and then suddenly it's driving through a town. But in the way that it's not like Last of the Summer Wine, which isn't particularly funny apart from for old people, the joke that that, that begins sets the tone for everything. It's it's um it's taking the mick out of the um of fascism but in a really slapstick way it's, it's very um reminiscent of uh was it chaplin who did the uh, the great dictator it's it's that's obviously quite a um yes uh, an inspiration for uh, bernini because uh, but, but it's so pitch perfect the way um the car is hurtling towards a group of expectant people and they all think it's um the the king is coming And uh, because he's got no brakes, he's trying to say, "Get out of the way, get out of the way!" But he's doing it, and it's a perfect (laughs) Nazi salute. And but he looks so (laughs) uh, he looks so earnest, and so um, it just works perfectly. His face, his mannerisms, um, and uh, yeah. So like, I I was initially thinking, "Okay, this is going to be a bit silly," and then um as he's driving through the crowd I think this is brilliant. <laughs> this is really funny. Um but in terms of the comedy in general it's not just um it's not just kind of slapstick. There's a lot of uh setups and payoffs. In fact the whole film is set setups, setups and payoffs. It's like um I can't think how many times every joke is set up. Like the the main one I think of is the um the sequence where um Guido takes out the preshephesia uh to um on a date and uh he needs i think she starts talking about how uh she wants uh, the only person that can be with her has to find a key to her heart or something like that um and it has to be a religious thing and he for the whole week prior to that uh, Guido has seen um a chap call up to a, a an apartment building and say, Mary, the key. And he just remembers that, and he uses that. And there's there's that one, and then the... Um, oh, what's the other... There's another one. Oh, the riddle. He sets... The, there's the riddle that he has with the German chap, um, and uh, the answer to the riddle is seven seconds. something to do with um, seven uh, dwarves having um, seconds. And uh, the chap comes up just as he needs him to to say that line and then the other guy that he's been stealing the hat from swaps his hat for a dry hat i mean all that is they spent 20 minutes setting up those jokes without you knowing that they're setting them up and then they all come in one sequence and um and it's it's kind of more sort of a romantic silliness to it but it's still it is still funny because you didn't know that you were watching the setup to a joke and then you see the payoffs um and they they're clever uh and i think that's um i think there's a lot of that there's a lot of wit to this film and another the biggest setup and the biggest payoff it's t- tiny tiny setup when um in the beginning of the let's say the second act where um guido and uh his uh, new wife, have had a baby, Josue, and um, they mention how Josue loves tanks. Don't forget your little tank, your little toy tank, and um, and then an hour later, you know, after building up this idea that he loves tanks and the game that he's playing, um, the top prize is to win a tank. When that tank rolls around, the American tank rolls around at the end, that, that's, that's an incredible moment, because it's part it's not a joke it's more like um i don't know dramatic um payoff i don't know what you would call it but it 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 pays off in so many different ways because it's so much relief to it but also it's kind of funny to see the little boy's face light up and really excited to see this thing he thinks he's he properly thinks he's won um and uh, yeah there's so much of that 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 really makes the film um satisfying uh, in a way that a lot of comedies um and dramatic films don't really have that I mean the script is so tight um but I mean, what do you think about the comedy
0: I think that the film really has this it's it's using like you said a lot of like planned payoff planned payoff and the importance of having those two Haves is that things are being recalled for example um, the there is this one scene where Guido was being called somewhere and he's being escorted Mm. and that's the first time like Josue sees Guido being escorted but then Guido does this um, wacky walk so that Josue would not I um, think yeah, there's something right. wrong and that walk is recalled in the climax when Guido maybe already knows that things are gonna go down south in like a matter of minutes so he does that walk and there is this there is this score or like motif that comes mm. back every time there's something a like, very brooding piece that made me really anxious every time i guess things are being going to be recalled
1: yeah my wife noticed that piece of music and mentioned how it has various iterations there's the kind of brooding version but there's also a version that's the same melody that's really kind of um whimsical and and um, playful which is amazing to do with a piece of music you know you can just change its entire tone with um with just you know changing its pace and changing its chords and things like that but it's essentially the same melody um but that's quite interesting to to um I ha- I didn't notice it call back it having that call back for the dramatic moments but I did notice the music was um you know had different uh levels and kept on playing um but that's really interesting
0: yep yeah, and that music that that walk um, because I already know what was gonna happen in the end so when I saw that walk and that music I was already crying and like oh my gosh we're not in the second half I'm already crying oh my gosh <laughs> so that score really like the film structurally screenplay music it does a lot of like reiterations of one thing and then contextualizing it in a different manner like jokes being recalled later for dramatic effect. um, Like, small things. The film really does that so well. And, um, like, in the structure of the riddles, you know, like, things coming back, coming back. Mm. And I would say, though, I want to hear your opinion on this. I actually think that sometimes the comedy, especially the physical comedy, goes... Too much at times. However, I think it was important to show how far Guido would go in what he is gonna do in the second half. I don't know if you're hearing this because your video stopped, but oh. just saying that um, it is the first half is already setting up. No, it's my fault. It's my side. <laughs> it's my. Don't worry. It's my side. Um, it's important to show how far Guido would um, reconfigure things, and like you mentioned a while ago, this opening scene where he was doing like uh, move away, but he's doing mm. like the Heil Hitler, so people are like, yeah, he's the king.
2: Mm.
0: There's already this play on like perception that will definitely be used big time in the second half because basically it's almost like. I don't know. It's innate to Guido that he can change perceptions of things. And because he... <laughs> I don't know how to word it right, but he has the capacity to change perceptions of things even without intentionally doing it. And that is going to come handy later when he has a son in the concentration camp. That would be so necessary to protect his son. Um yeah so I think I think now watching it like I do think that sometimes the comedy is too too much at times because a physical comedy, but in the context of the film it works it mm. works big time,
1: yeah I mean you could say that things like the uh putting the eggs in the guy's hat um there's there's the the chap who's um, gonna be married to his Prince uh he puts eggs in his hat and then later on he gets an egg on his head. I mean, it's this like continuous uh, accidental egg on his head joke, but it's silly. And I think the more silliness there is, uh, the more the contrast uh, is so um, massive. So uh, in terms of, I think what we're doing here, we're talking about uh, the, the only, um, Concentration camp comedy, probably ever made, and uh, and there's a reason for that because it's not a very nice. Oh, this is understatement. It's not a nice, um, you know, joke-filled uh, situation. I mean, th- there was a lot of people at the time who were um, very upset with uh, with Roberta Benini for um, what they thought was trivializing the Holocaust um i think he felt he was vindicated by the success of the film but also he, i think there was quite a few number of uh, um, jewish societies that uh, thought it was wonderful and um, honored him with um various prizes and awards and whatnot so i think he felt vindicated that he'd he'd struck the right tone and he made a film that was respectful whilst being uh full of egg on head jokes and uh and things like that so I think yeah the contrast is is what makes it so um so wonderful um does it go too far i don't know i, I don't know um I, I don't know i can't remember any jokes in it that i thought were too silly i mean that's the charisma of the leading man though isn't it he is just a uh a bundle of enthusiasm and wherever he goes whatever he does you're quite happy to follow him and watch him do his silly antics because he's he's so enthusiastic and so positive. Um, and that's what carries the film, I think.
0: I do think that there's the one scene where he pretended to be like the schoolmaster, where he was like uh, showing oh, yeah. his body to the kids. I mean, like, <laughs> we can cut that down maybe like a few minutes. Like, we don't... I think, you know, just... It's, it's already nitpicking on my part, but... Mm. Again, like in the bigger picture, like it works, and I that's important to mention that there were jokes in the film, but it was never about making joke off the Holocaust, of the tragedy of the Holocaust. No, but of course not. The jokes are from the character intentionally using it to mm. you know for a bigger purpose, and if there were ever moments of people being made fun of, it's usually it, it is, it is. I, I I hope I'm right. It is um the Nazis, let's say they're mm. the victim of the jokes. So it's never to the victims of the actual Holocaust, um I no. would say. And I would say that um I was thinking like oh first of all I love how the film transition from um, concentration camp drama from romantic comedy to concentration camp drama but it is important now in a rewatch to think that with the perspective of the son because he started it he's almost like retelling it with the narration and the opening scene you know mm. I feel like you
1: don't, you don't know that at the time do you In the in the first scene you don't know that the narrator is the little boy I don't think yeah, you just know it's in the right. You don't
0: know it, but you will know it in the end. Mm. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Yeah, but in the rewatch, I think it makes sense that there are parts when if because he in the end he's he's saying that he is telling this story. I feel like I wanna hear your opinion on this. I think it is the the whole film, that's why it's so jolly and like even light on a lighter tone. This is what he's seeing, or what what he was told. Mm. Because I think I don't know. You're the parent here. I'm the, I'm the child. I'm the child. But <laughs> the stories that our parents have, they when they tell it to their children, it's never the fullest story. Um, there is some things that are being filtered. So there is a there is um a perspective. Where this story is being retold. And then told to him. Because in the moment. Josue did not understand what was happening. It was just playing a game. So when he's being told this story of. um, Of uh, I forget, Guido and Dora. Having this romance. And then coming to concentration camp. It almost feels like a fairy tale. Or like a sweet story. A parent would tell her child. Like this is how we met. So that. The earlier scenes now have a deep have a different layer to me because I think like oh that is how probably it was told just way that um almost romantic comedy fairy tale and even in a concentration that we don't see the big horrors of it. Yeah, what do you think of my take? You can you can disagree, I'm fine.
1: <laughs> no, I, I it's not something I would disagree with. I think it's an interesting idea. I don't know if it was uh, an intentional um, you know I don't think they're thinking um, what did the child see I think I think this is just the style of uh, Roberto Bonini he wanted to do um, this kind of comedy and then have this kind of uh, reveal at the end Um, and I think it just it, uh, it works for him and how he makes his films so it's I like the I like the idea a lot and it makes a lot of sense to me. But I don't know if it was, it was necessarily something they considered um, while they were uh, writing it. I don't know. It, it's interesting um, because there's a lot of the stuff where Joshua doesn't see like from the first half he's not born. So yeah, I see. Was it all told to him? That's the thing, the narration it begins there's a couple of lines at the beginning and there's a couple of lines at the end so for me it's just a reveal to show that um, it's the little boy's story and because he was the one who survived and he is the one who is grateful for the game that his father came up with Um, so it's more of a vehicle to show the boy's gratefulness uh, to his father um, that he couldn't do while he was alive because he didn't know what the game was. Does that make sense?
0: <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, to clarify things, joining us is Roberto Benigni. I'm just kidding. No, that's not happening. <laughs> I I hope he was here. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I do agree with that with that perspective. I, I don't know what... it what, Maybe I was just overreading the structure of it, but it just feels like... Huh... This is because I, <laughs> I feel like the, the first half, especially, is like now it feels to be like, oh, maybe this is in a certain lens because, like, mm. things are too beautifully serendipitous, like the keys mm. and, and the, the oh, hat yeah. and this and that. I was like, I'm thinking of, like, was this a perspective that Josue had when he was told the story or this is just me over reading and overthinking things because when you know when you're doing this podcast you take note of everything and like oh my gosh this is probably something that i should notice (laughs) um i do want to ask something um between the romantic comedy part of the film and like the concentration camp drama there is this short moment of like um domestic drama comedy that just goes on for like 10 to 15 minutes that kind of serves as a transition to the film, like when Josue was born and mm. then she would bring him to school and like the 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 table that moves uh, and like the flower would come in and oh, before yes. the before crap goes down the toilet. I think that serves as a transition. How do you think how do you feel about the film's way of transitioning? From this big comedy to this drama at the end.
1: Well, uh, I think it does it very well for the main reason that the, there are the hints of the fascism um, from the from the first scene. So you got the salute in the car, um, and uh, you know that's very funny, but it, but it's it's saying you know there are Nazis around. This is not a very happy time. This is a this is a quite crazy time. Um, and then there's the um, there's the, the scene that you mentioned earlier, where um, Guido uh, wants to go and see Dora, so he pretends to be the school inspector um, and uh, give a, a lecture about being the superior race. I mean, we're talking about superior race politics here. That's <laughs> you know that's some heavy stuff as well. But he makes a giant joke of it. And then there's the the chat over dinner um is it at the uh, the engagement party where um they're talking about uh it's it's a a child's exam question um and it's essentially a eugenics question saying um how can you um uh, how much does it cost to keep people who are um disabled or you know deaf or whatever and um that's just a a chat over dinner and people are happy to talk about it happy to consider um you know exterminating uh people who don't conform to this um superior race idea so there's there, there is sprinkles of it all the way through and the jewish horse as well the uncle's um horse that gets vandalized turned green and Gets uh, uh, graffitied on it, and um, which is a nice joke as well. He, um, uh, when Guido says he doesn't, it says on the on the side of the horse something like um, "Jewish horse" or something, and, and yeah. Guido, Guido says, uh, "I didn't know your horse was Jewish. <laughs> like, I didn't know any horse was Jewish." Um, but yeah, there's lots of that kind of thing sprinkled throughout. So it's not; it's all earned. I think that's the thing with this film, everything is earned. The jokes, the twists, it's all set up and um, sprinkled throughout so that even though things are a, uh, a surprise um, or they're a, a laugh, they are earned and that you um, you could see them coming. It's like a really good book. If it's got a big twist in it, you a, a good book Will have all of the clues all the way through, but you will still be massively surprised when the thing happens. A bad book it just comes out of left field. you have no idea who this character is that's the murderer, and they they just it's it's cheap nothing in this film is cheap it's it's well scripted and and um it tries to um it always makes sure the groundwork is there the foundation for every joke and every twist so the transition is funny because you expect like it's that act two and is act two about 10 minutes long because that's that transition bit and um it's very short but uh and not much really happens in it apart from you know that the the boy is there and and there is more uh of the creeping fascism in the country. Um like he's got his bookshop and it's been graffitied with vandalized with Jewish shop and there's also other shops that say in the window, no dogs and no Jews. So this this um hostility uh ramps up quite extensively in that transition. Um but it, again it's all been um I've forgotten there's another um joke about fascism (laughs) uh in the bit where he's talking to the guy he keeps stealing the hat from uh he wants to borrow his hat and um at some point he says to uh guido says to him what are your political views i can't remember why why he asks but yeah he says what are your political views and before the guy gets to reply he shouts at his kids adolf benito stop messing around and then you know exactly what his political views are from that so uh I think yeah it's it's all in there it's all in there from the get go so uh transition is short but it doesn't need to be that long because it's it's based on a pyramid of lots of um little hints and clues
0: yeah i i agree and that's that scene that's one of the things that i just also n- men, uh, noticed in my rewatch and i'm like now if i see someone name his or her child Donald and Vladimir and oh my god, get away from me. <laughs> yes. I don't want to be associated with it anymore. Exactly. Um but yeah, those those things I, I love what you said about the comedy and the film setting up a lot of um groundwork for the second half. And I think that's why the second half hits so hard. And I know there were people and even at the time there were people that were put off by the first half just have to stick with the film because it really has a way of recall of turning things back and then making it full circle. Yeah. And, and the comedy makes sense and the, the tonal shifts are smooth. I'm usually the person that not usually the person, what kind of thing is that? I'm usually the person who feels like, Oh no. Like I feel when tonal shifts are smooth or when they're not.
2: Mm.
0: This film is so tricky. The tones are th- so tricky because you you're, there are moments where you're one joke away from failing. So you have to toe the line between like, who are you making fun of? What is the situation? How far can you go? Like for example, um, um, when I think it's um. Guido carrying those... Uh, I, don't, I don't know what they are, but I think they're like metal things that they have to melt. They're
1: called anvils.
0: Anvils. Thank you for the word, anvils. <laughs> and um, suddenly, uh, Josue comes in. And then he has to explain what, you know... So it's still Guido and Herberto basically. Like, physical comedy, but son exposed to real horrors, to protecting him... It's so tricky to pull that off, and I think he really does. And I think it's a gift to have someone like Roberto Benigni really willing to go out there. And um, I'm I'm doing hand signals, and I don't have the word for it. Like going out there and going go for broke in this certain tone, not only of the film but of the performance itself. Because even when the tone shifts. Guido has a performance in itself. You know, When he has a Guido as Guido and then Guido as a father. And then he has all of these things going for it. And I think with... Oops. I think in terms of like the drama of it, having just... Oh my gosh, the roosters are already like, calm down, it's 1 a.m. <laughs> um Having Josue come in, it just raises the stakes. Because... A child is now involved. Yeah, and it's... just way is unlike in other films. That child character is not a prop. That character is so crucial in all of Guido's actions. Yeah, for the rest of the film. And the acting of the child is not. I mean, it's not so bad. I mean, I did see Roberto meaning like kind of mouthing some of the lines to the kid, Like, all really? right, I'll let that pass. Yes. <laughs> so funny. There was this one moment when I think um Guido was, like, t- um, instructing Josue b- before he puts him in the box yeah. at night. Roberto was clearly mouthing the lines, you know, like, oh, you know what? I'm going to let you pass on that one.
1: <laughs> That's really funny.
0: You're going to be fine. um
1: I'll tell you what, that... That boy though, he's had quite a career because I, I noticed he—that's um, Giorgio Cantarini, who plays the yes. little boy—and he um, he returned as Maximus's son in Gladiator, and got strung up, <laughs> and uh, that's uh, that's quite impressive. Both of his um, acting dads have won Best Actor because I think Russell Crowe did as well for that film.
0: Yeah, he does. And I haven't seen Gladiators. I cannot. <laughs> give an opinion on that <laughs> you haven't but, seen uh, it yeah it's it's one of my uh, gladiator and return of the king are the only best picture winners from this mil- century that i haven't seen it.
1: oh wow okay um I'm, i've got no love for the uh return of the king stuff but gladiator is a good bit of roman epic uh, i recommend watching it just for the just for the thrills
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna get down to that somewhere down the line because um, I I am I am a few nominees away from completing the Best Picture nominees and right now I haven't seen Gladiator in Traffic. Oh right. But Crouching Tiger is so close to my heart at this point. Yeah. Um the three hour, 40 minute episode of that on this podcast proves that point. <laughs> it's so close to my heart. Like it's longer than the film.
2: Wow.
0: Um but yeah, it's it's just such um interesting to have this child have this career and it probably has a better career as a child actor than I do um it doesn't matter at this point I'm fine
1: (laughs) I'm okay but when you watch Um, Gladiator you uh, can uh, look out for Josue I think he's in it for like two seconds
0: (laughs) I'm I have a lot of things to catch up with Gladiator um yeah I, I like what you said about the concept of the superior race because this one brings that up like you said and Benini uses that as a springboard to a comedic scene, but to make fun of it to to show how ridiculous that concept is
2: mm.
0: while still maintaining the comedy of it. And then this moment of the, the, um, the horse. Um, I think his father said, like, you have you'll have to get used to it. And the film has this wonderful like what well, like we've been saying like careful planting of like details and scenes and microaggressions just to show how fascism really creeps in mm-hmm. it's not a one big go it's one small thing after the other and i think at that point the film makes us pay attention not just to the film but in like in real life like you probably have to pay attention because complacency like I think even at the time people were like, that's not gonna be serious, right? You're gonna kill that's not that's not gonna happen, right? And until it does happen and it's in it's, it's an unstoppable train anymore. Like oh oops, did I say train? I'm sorry. Um so yeah, it's it's a really wonderful depiction of that because the film never stri- the the in terms of the film's tone it smoothly transitions. But even at the beginning, it, there are already details like sprinkled in carefully just to show that even if the tone changes, this is a world. Yeah. This, this is a concrete world where even if the tone changes, it's, it has always been there.
1: There's, there's another example of that, that, that. Like I said earlier, when um, he uh, they see a sign in the shop window that says no dogs or Jews. And then poor Josue says, why don't they let dogs or Jews in there, and the, and then he has to make up, you know, he's already trying to make a different world for his son by saying, well, they, you know, they just don't like it in there. It, down the street, there's another place. They don't like uh, Spanish people or giraffes or something like that. And uh, and they say, well, we can do something for our bookshop, can't we? We can have, um, who? what don't you like? And he says, no spiders. All right, No spiders? And then he says Visigoths, so I don't know what that is, but... <laughs> But you know, he did search for that. While
0: watching. <laughs> I was like, what visit God. I
1: didn't know this. Um, so I mean, that's just funny. I mean, he, he's you know having a sign up on a shop window says no spiders. That's just funny. Um, and but, but again, it's a funny joke out of systemic uh, creeping um, racism and anti semitism. And uh, I mean, that's inc- incredible to pull off i mean it's i think a lot of people called it brave at the time and it's people use that word a lot but i do think he he took a lot of risks and um and it's it's to his testament that they they did come off um quite so spectacularly
0: yeah i am pretty cautious sometimes when a film is called brave like for example when actresses are being called brave for like gaining weight like women (laughs) gain weight yeah it's it's not brave it it happens you're fine but yeah, it is a really brave film to use um, to tackle, like provide a different interpretation of the Holocaust. Mm. It's still grounded in the reality that the people face it in. What's well, in a very specific lens mm. of fatherhood and I cannot imagine what you're going to be facing for the next years. I I just want to wish you the best as a father, but <laughs> to explain huge concepts, like I... I how are we going to explain to kids like why for example do we have a us president that is all kind of ist misogynist is is ist how when we have leaders and like general opinions changing and not for the better sometimes mm. a lot of times especially at this point do you how do parents navigate that should i how do i talk to my child should i just shield him from it should him her or tell him a bit or how far can i tell in his comprehension so that concept of like what does it mean to be a parent especially in life as we being a father in uncertain times like oh my gosh um you know it's 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 one point of my life where i've I only have memories of because I lost my father at 10. So I only like go to motherhood, motherhood, motherhood. But to fathers where, I don't know. I don't know the pressures of being a father because I'm not that. But in this climate, in time, like how do you handle such a thing? It's just, and the film does it so well. And with the film intentionally and uh, Guido Using, he goes into this route of using humor to shield just innocence. Um, what do you think of that choice of Guido?
1: I mean, he uses it's not so much comedy but fantasy. He uses he makes up this giant fantasy, and that's what he uses to protect his son. Um, how we do things today is probably different because we're not faced with that kind of extreme barbarity. Um, might I do the same if I was in a concentration camp? I don't know if I'd have the willpower to do that. Um, but you you try to shield your child from it somehow. And but that's the point of the film. He he's he is a fantasist. He's serially, always making up different personalities, different. Um, you know, uh, his first lines are. Um, being a, pretending to be a prince so um, and to the little girl he meets at the well and that's the kind of thing um, what am I saying so yeah he, it's all about being a, a fantasist and um, I don't know I don't know how I would teach my boy about the evils of the world uh, thankfully he's, he's not quite two years old so I don't have to start thinking about it yet but he um, but hopefully i won't have to teach him about donald trump for a start because he won't be uh, he'll be a distant memory of blotch on the history of america please please <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we can all hope and um so yeah i, I hopefully i won't ever have to speak his, speak that horrible man's name to my son because um i uh, yeah that's i don't know what words i'd have to use which words i'd have to censor to explain that horrible, horrible man. But so I don't know yet. I don't know how I would do that. I think these days people try to um, be as honest and open with their kids as possible. You know, they don't try to shield them from things. They try to teach them um, the ways of the world. And um, but this is this is not a a parenting film or a, a way to, you know, lessons to be learned from this film it's it's purely fantasy and um uh it's only luck that um that makes this film not traumatic for that boy you know pure pure luck so to think of it as a you know would you do the same absolutely not because it you know he it's just you wouldn't get any of the lucky straws That uh, Guido gets, Um, he he would have been killed time and time again for all of the actions that he takes. So um, yeah, it's an interesting question, but um, yeah, I don't know uh, what I
2: would do.
0: Let's just hope that it's not gonna be necessary for you. I mean, why am I feeling bullshit about being a father? I'm not a father anyway. But I just say I'm just I have the most I have the empathy, and I I I know like if ever. I will become a father if that ever becomes part of the conversation. I don't know. I would definitely get things from this film that I am not getting right now. Mm. Um, Definitely. Um, So (laughs) I don't know how to But I don't know how to reach this point in what I want to say. But so, well, I don't know if we've talked about this already, but uh, what do you think of Roberto Berni's performance?
1: Roberto Benini does Roberto Benini. Do you know what I mean? If you look at him on, um, his,
0: I haven't seen him at, uh, outside of this. So I have what? no idea what he uh, means. I mean,
1: every kind of, uh, talk show, uh, thing he came on during the promotion of the film. He is Guido, you know, he's like larger than life talks really loudly. And he's like, you know, great big hand gestures. And, uh, and uh, you know fascinated with women and it, he's just um <laughs> it's just funny to watch him because he's just a, an interesting character but he's just playing himself you know His his performance is, is his style um of a clown you know he's he's uh he, there's elements of charlie chaplin um you know but essentially he created a career being this clown and um he was beloved in italy for it so um yeah i don't in terms of performance he's just doing him
0: and is that a good thing or a bad thing when you're talking about the awards
1: play to your strengths i guess the thing is with the awards he was doing something that no one else had done and i think he also probably got a lot of um uh what's the word um respect that's not the word i want but it will do um he would have got a lot of respect for being the writer and the director uh, and the lead actor for that film he carries it you know so in terms of um the best actor award he he was the film he's the entire film um so i can imagine that would carry a lot of weight when they're considering it
0: my only non-Life is Beautiful moment with Red is his Oscar speech where he <laughs> stood on the chairs. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy for him to get that moment because... It's wonderful. I think, yeah, not, not, not a lot of people would have the audacity to do the things that he did. Mm. You know, from doing this drama comedy about the Holocaust to standing on chairs at the Oscar night to telling people in the audience that he would love to make love to everyone. (laughs) Are you talking to me? Would you want to make love to me? Okay. Um, But, you know, I think, yeah. I I mean, I wasn't... I mean, I was existing already at the time, but I was not conscious. But I only have the hindsight in my Mm. case. Um, I do wish... I can only imagine if we only had more scenes with Dora. Mm. with Nicolette Tabaski I wish we had a bit more because I think she's really good um, I know she got the lighter stuff from the lighter stuff from the film but when she gets moments it's hugely impactful and a lot, a lot of those moments is just her absorbing mm. Guido's antics like from the big um romantic comedy moments to the scenes at the concentration camp mm. i I just love it and uh two scenes that I really love and no I have a lot I love a lot of scenes from her <laughs> okay um how many one two three four I love four scenes from her um I really love when she demanded that she get on the train
1: oh yeah that's a great scene. I was crying.
0: Like, <laughs> cry. Even in rewatch, I was crying when she made that very clear. I love it when... She
1: knows where that train is going.
0: Yeah. When she makes that decision. And she, and she was willing. Yeah. That's... She was willingly suggesting. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, And then, I do love it when Guido and Josue snuck into the speakers.
1: Yeah, I was going to say this one. Yeah. <laughs> When she listens to the she listens to the track and she walks up to the window and she knows that her her wife and her uh, husband and boy are still alive and she just sort of looks up and uh, yeah, that's quite a performance. You know, a non verbal performance, um, just in that scene. Yeah, I was gonna mention that one. oh,
0: oh okay. <laughs> and then the scene where she was told like well, you know what they do with children? They turn them into buttons and soap and <laughs> it's like just standing there. Again, <laughs> looking out the window. She she looks out a lot of times in this film. Yeah. And then there's this one final looking out where it was a, a, a dinner at the restaurant and then um when everyone's already like idle in the restaurant, Guido faces the 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 speaker thing from the gramophone mm. and then he plays off and back
1: oh yes from his she, the, she saw the, the, the yeah. um uh, the opera didn't she that's right
0: yeah and then she plays that and night at the concentration camp it's just like she was i was my eyes were tired when watching this. <laughs> i give up she does cry again okay
1: she does do a great performance in that um yeah yeah
0: that's, yeah, that's his wife, for isn't more it? Than 10 years already.
1: Yeah. That's actually Roberto Benigni's wife, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's... it's <laughs> I love that performance. And I do just want to mention, I don't know if this is some weird tangent, but I just want to say that Guido is very horny in this <laughs> film. He's yeah. literally saying multiple times, I want to make love to you, to a woman she doesn't even know that much. And like... Doris is like absorbing it. Like, this is some, wow, amazing. Like, okay, some fantasy. And I'm like, I don't know how I would handle that situation, really.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's the bit where she she falls out of the barn window uh, because she's been fiddling with a wasp nest and uh, she thinks she's been stung. And then he uh, he makes up this idea that you have to suck the poison from a wasp out of her and spit it out. Uh, as if she's been bitten by a snake. Uh, I mean, you do that. If you, you put that in a film today, <laughs> people would not think that's funny. They'd call that assault. And uh, but you know, it's it's a film of its time, and it's a film of you know, he's not he's not a bad person. He just really loves beauty and loves well he really likes women that's for sure um so yeah i do know what you mean it's uh, a bit a bit heavy handed sometimes
0: yeah and even with the even with the context of the film like i think remember i think uh just was already like sleepy in the fog and he would guido was telling him what he would do mm. <laughs> like i would make love to your mother and, like i don't know is that a, topic for this time <laughs> okay um are there any other scenes that you loved from this film or like memorable even if not loved
1: um there is one that i was thinking about the when uh, again from that train scene when they're getting on the train and um guido has already begun this the fantasy uh and hit the, he's sort of calling ahead saying you know res- reserve our standing um area please Uh, when he gets he gets onto the train last and the nazi guard shoves him in the back and then uh, to carry on the fantasy guido turns around and thanks him for pushing him onto the train there's something really deeply unsettling about that even though it's done with um huge kind of big grin smile you know he's And he's trying to show to Guido and to Josue that there's nothing to be, to be fearful of. Um, It's really quite unsettling to say thank you to a Nazi. (laughs) What about you? (laughs) Yeah, of course. But (laughs) if you're not making up the fantasy, then I don't know. So, but what about you? Is there any other ones that we haven't mentioned that you, I, I,
0: I I think, Hmm. I'm looking, I'm taking a look at my list because I really loved a lot of things. Um, I, 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 I think we already talked about it. I really love that shot where they transition from the night where Guido and Dora eloped, and then when she enters the barn or, or the greenhouse, mm. suddenly so Joshua just- comes out. It's and the music, I, again, I love the music of this film. It's again, there's a specific tone of it that I really loved. Oh, I have one scene. Oh my gosh. I really like the scene where he was translating the rules.
1: Oh, yes, yes, that's right. You mean the when the German guard is uh, speaking in German and he's saying the stuff in Italian?
0: Yes, because it's a demonstration of how... A, a huge demonstration of how far he would put himself out there. Mm. How far he would go to protect his child and... And even the scene where Um Joshua says he wants to go home already, so like Guido was pretending to like, all right, well, let's go now. It's yeah, raining. Right. I don't care. Let's throw <laughs> one thousand points.
1: Pack it up. Let's go. The
0: performance. <laughs> yeah, the, his performance as a father in that moment. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, there must be nerves or, mm. I don't know, but there is this paternal instinct that he had. Like you know what, I would translate it. You know what? Let's go. Let let's let's do this.
2: Mm.
0: It's just like he's so driven to mm. uh, protect his child, and I just love that those scenes where it shows how far he would go.
1: Mm. Which well, shows and, how lucky he is, though. Yeah. If you know, very easily yeah. get caught to help for doing something like that. So it's not like he, uh, yeah. That's the uh, the fantasy of the film, isn't it? You, um, he puts himself front and center. Risking his own life just for the fantasy for his boy, I mean it's really lovely ideas there, but um, in a real world, he'd be dead <laughs> straight away, oh
0: my God, <laughs> I hope not, but yeah, but he died spoiler alert he yeah, died. He does. What did you think of the of the choice that they made that they made Greedo's death off screen um uh, well, it's
1: heavily implied, isn't it? They um, you hear the gunshots. I
0: think, uh, I think
1: it might have been too heavy, to um, to have him. I mean, no one is seen shot in the film. Uh, that's one thing that it did get a little bit of criticism. Um, uh, people didn't think it because it was a Holocaust film. People weren't, uh, people were annoyed or angry that it didn't show um the real horrors of being there apart from that one um shot of the of the bodies but apart from that the um they don't really show anyone being killed throughout the whole film so to have that suddenly uh and it be your protagonist i think it might have been a bit too much because then they have to come back and make it a happy <laughs> a happy ending with the boy getting rescued by the americans so um, I think it's probably a good choice.
0: What about you? Um, I think that's why I was thinking of maybe this was a story being presented from the perspective of the child. Because even in the production design, it's not, it's not the grim and dark and grey concentration camps that we have um, seen in other films mm. that are probably more historically accurate. So with that, I I did start to feel like, oh I, I remember that scene when in the gas chambers where the grandfather was taking off his clothes and then a Nazi trip and he assisted her and she just looked at her with um you know those eyes mm. um, I immediately, immediately thought and I remembered son of Saul yeah. <laughs> the son of Saul is like gritty as I just thought, They must have intentionally not stuck with the 100% historical accuracy. And it would make sense for me. I needed it to make sense if the story was being told from the perspective of the child or what was told to him. That's why I also had that Mm. assumption. Because like, with the look of the film and what we see and what we don't see this feels especially filtered in a specific lens of um, Josue being told the story of his father, mm. basically. Mm. So yeah, I did feel that.
1: But who um, would tell that... him the story? That's the other thing about that um, idea. His father doesn't tell him the story about the concentration camp. I mean, he learns that from his mother, probably.
0: Right? Yeah. So I, I think... Um, uh, hmm. <laughs> Josue hang on hang on Who's... <laughs> Joshua, I really had to do this like, oh my god I'm thinking <laughs> Um, I think Josue with with his scenes with his father I think that's taken care of because he was there even though he was being protected and then I think with the scenes with Dora and especially the, the before he was born scenes it was being it was Probably supplemented by her mother's story like probably the same way like how um, parents would talk about their love story to their child like this is how we met you know I would probably not tell them like you know what we we met in a bar
2: <laughs> you know
0: what and we did drugs <laughs> and we got high and we got wasted I, I think it's you know you know what I mean <laughs> it's, it's quite a first date though. Eh, uh, we had
3: trucks,
2: <laughs> you know.
0: <laughs> Voglio salire su quel treno anch'io.
1: È tutto pronto.
2: Allora fai partire.
1: Vai, vai, parti pure!
3: Torna a casa, signora. Para.
2: Voglio salire su quel treno.
0: All right, so let's talk about how life is beautiful. One, um, yeah, it's not really a hard thing to um, decipher because it is the sixth non-English language film to be nominated for Best Picture, so that's an upper hand. So before we go on, it premiered in Italy on December 20, 1997, and then it premiered at Cannes in 1998, where it won Grand Prix, and then landed in Toronto on September 12, United States of America, October 23, distributed by Miramax. That's an important thing to mention... Uh, with Harvey Stern, So this was Italy's 10th win and 26th nomination. And the film was also nominated for Best Picture, Best Directing, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Film Editing. And it won Foreign Language Film, Actor, and Original Dramatic Score, when we still had two categories for score. I am so glad they divided that because I love this score and Shakespeare in Love score and I would be crushed to choose between the two. (laughs) And then in terms of its um, awards run, in BAFTA, it won Best Actor for Roberto Benigni. Also nominated for Foreign Language Film and Original Screenplay, at SAG, Roberto Benigni won Best Actor and was nominated for Cast, which would not be replicated again until... Parasite. I think <laughs> I think I'm correct, right? Oh my god! I don't want to. I fake news. <laughs> no 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 no. I'm I'm correct. I just I'm so insecure with my facts. What's happening? I just want to get this one right. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon did not get nominated for the for SAG. I think I think I think. Oh no 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 no. Yes it did not get nominated for SAG. I, am so, I mean I love Gretchen Taggart. I just want to get my facts right. So Life is Beautiful is the first until Parasite and then it was nominated for Directors Guild, Producers Guild. Uh, it won Critics' Choice. It was top five of National Board of Review. In Toronto it won People's Choice. Which especially now is such a huge thing for Best Picture because I think the winners of this People's Choice were Room Green Book JoJo Rabbit. Right, so okay. now it's such a it's a, it's such a precursor for Best Picture, like who won People's Choice in Toronto. So there you go. Oh, but, but 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 it was absent at the Golden Globes. Nada. No showing there in foreign language film or actor.
1: Is that something to do with the. um, When it came out? Was it in the wrong. I don't mean that. That's quite surprising, isn't it?
0: Yes, I was disturbed. (laughs) I was disturbed. Like, um, maybe there were. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it doesn't have any. Not not even actor. Not even score. Yeah. It blanked out in uh, Golden Globes, which is very interesting. Um, I was supposed to say something. Oh, the domestic box office of Life is Beautiful is $57.2 million, international is 171.6, and worldwide is 228.8, which is one of the highest-grossing film, uh, non-English language films at the time, and I think as still now. Obviously, it was an easy win for Best Picture because it was, uh, for not Best picture. <laughs> foreign language film. um i do want to hear your thoughts well how do what do you think of this group of nominees in best picture and why do you think life is beautiful made it in big time in this oscars
1: it's got a lot going for it doesn't it i mean the, it's um i think for a start americans love italians and uh but also that's just sort of a generic point but I think the film has all of these big things in it. It's got uh Holocaust um you know themes, it's but it's also comedy. I think it's so unique a film and and so uh so completely different to everything that's that's been out there before that maybe it really just caught their imagination and thought, you know, we have to put this in because it's it's nothing like anything else.
0: Yeah, I think it would. It is such an interesting thing that it got in big time in the guilds, the the guilds that matter, PGA, DGA, and SAG. Um, f- right from Cannes, there was already love for it with the Grand Prix. Um, w- this was also the year where three of the nominees are about World War Two, <laughs> and two are about the Elizabethan era. So there was a theme. Mm. Um. I do think that Life is Beautiful is that emotionally powerful film that gets in. Um, Especially in the expanded ballot, we get such things as, um, probably, um, you know what? Green Book would be one of those. Green Book, um, I don't want to just stick with Green Book. I'm so sorry. Um, maybe, um, Philomena, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. Those films that they may not be perfect, but in terms, they the, the capital of those films are the emotional impact. Mm. And, live, and with Life is Beautiful being critically divisive at certain points at that time, it was the emotional impact that really pushed it. And this was also the year where Miramax, Went big time with their campaigns.
2: Um,
1: right. I mean, you could tell it, there's a lot of momentum behind it, and uh, from like you say, it gets a couple of little awards or little, you know, um, less prestigious than the Oscars, and um, and builds on that. And um, but I don't remember any other uh, stars of foreign language films going on Letterman or um, you know all the talk show. Um, uh, talk shows in america that's quite um that's quite different that's you know that's unusual for um for a foreign language uh, actor or director to be promoting their film to Americans um, before the Oscars were being held so i think there's a lot of um yeah there's, that there's momentum there um and uh they, they yeah maybe it was Miramax i don't know much about Miramax is a um promotional uh, body but uh, I'm guessing they pulled out the stops and uh, paid a lot of money to get him in front of people and and promoting the film presumably
0: yes um I have watched this one video from in youtube it's uh it's about the 1998 race by be kind rewind uh one of the lovely youtube it's one of our best actors but it also delved into how Miramax really fired all the cylinders in its campaign. And critics at the time were saying, well, the campaigning is really aggressive this year, especially with Miramax.
2: Mm.
0: And with Miramax having Shakespeare in Love, and, um... well, Shakespeare in Love is a big bet. But the fact that they were able to pull Life is Beautiful from foreign language film to Best Picture is such a feat. And I don't know how exactly they did that, Because with the Golden Globes miss, it's probably huge, but its industry support is quite astonishing. Um, PGA, DJ, and tag those are like those are the those are the guilds that you want to hit if you want to be in the best picture race. So it's campaigning savvy, it's emotional impact, and it's your beard as well. I think yeah, you know, the same way that uh, well. It's probably not the best comparison, but how Bong Joon Ho really went out there to promote *Parasite* okay. and ha- and have this um, attention, the, the love for a *Parasite*. I don't know if that would be equated to *Life Is Beautiful*, because I I wasn't there yet. But you know, um, the film has it. You know, in terms of like emotional impact, so. Um yeah, so let's see. <laughs> what happened to the other nominees? Um The other nominees that year were Central Station from Brazil, Children of Heaven from Iran, The Grandfather from Spain, and Tango from Argentina. Uh where do you want to start?
1: Uh should we start with the good ones?
0: I want to know what good ones mean to you. So <laughs> let, I, I want to hear the title. <laughs>
1: um well, I mean, my favourite of those others was Central Station. I thought mm-hmm. that was—I had a really good time watching that film. It's—it um, wasn't something that I uh, had come across before, but the production value of it is astonishing for a, a film from the '90s. Um, It's—it's—it um, feels like a film that was made this decade. Like it's mm-hmm. the cinematography is is very. Um, I mean, this was before they had a lot of, uh, um, you know, um, post production movie grading, but the film is just so beautifully colored, and uh, and it's got interesting characters. And I mean, maybe you want to talk about what the film's about before I start yammering on about the cinematography. But it, yeah, that's that was my favorite of the others, definitely.
0: All right. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so Central Station is. It's about a retired teacher who's now working in in, in, a tra- in a station as like a letter writer to people who cannot write but want to write letters. <laughs> Did they just go in a circle and wording there? Um, but, you know, she wasn't, she's not really living, working in an honest way. And then suddenly there is this child who lost his mother and now... Um, I forgot the name of the, the is Is it also Dora? I think it's also. I think it's also Dora. And I, I wanna. Get yeah, it's right. it Dora. Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. That's so,
1: a strange coincidence.
0: Yeah, Dora, which is played by Oscar nominee Fernanda Montenegro. Um, so she now feels compelled to bring the boy to the nearest relative which is the father, mm. um, so she can get rid of the child. But, you know, it becomes this road uh, movie traveling through the um, wide, vast landscapes of Brazil. And not just physical landscape, but the cultural landscape of Brazil. Um, what else? What do I want to say? Uh, say? It premiered in Berlin, which it won the Golden Bear. It won National Border Review it won BAFTA. It won Golden Gloom.
1: Wow. I, mean, I can totally see that because it is a really excellent film um, with uh, with characters that are, you know, Dora in that film. She is horrible. <laughs> but by <laughs> the end of it, by the end of it, you really like her. But at the beginning, she's, she's such a terrible person. Uh, you know, she's writing these letters. It reminded me of... Um, did you watch her, the film Her with the, um, uh, what was his name? It was the sort of a sci fi film. That's similar sort of idea of uh, writing letters for people um, who can't write. But she is completely different from Wacky uh, Phoenix's character in that film because she holds this power over the people that she writes for. She completely looks down on them. She thinks she can um, choose whether she. Uh, posts the letters that she writes for them or not, and that's um and she does it not arbitrarily, but whether she thinks that it would be better for them if she sent it or not so um she's inherently an or- horrible person, untrustworthy um and she uh you know she tricks the little boy quite often you know trying to get rid of him <laughs> uh sells him in fact sells him to oh, a <laughs>
0: <laughs> i almost like really yeah. i like you what are you
1: doing yeah she's awful and um but my goodness by the end of it she uh that's i mean it's a giant narrative arc for her to go from the just hideous woman to um kind of have these starting to get these maternal feelings and um uh, starting to respect the the little boy and thinking about him rather than what's best for her so um, just on a, a purely narrative level um it's it's really really well made film and it's also a, a road movie like you say so and it feels a bit like um uh, the heart of darkness yeah you know, the further they go into the uh, on the buses into the the, the, the poverty of uh, a brazil um the more uh the more difficult things become um so yeah it's a really well crafted film um so i'm not surprised that it won golden globe and all the others there
0: yeah i mean if it if not for the best picture nomination for life is beautiful i might have predicted this at the time <laughs> I and mean, like my gosh you want these big things mm um i also did not watch central station before this podcast and i also did not know anything about it um i've only seen photos Mm. and um i love old women um well as a oh yeah as a as a friendly (laughs) kind of thing you know you know what i mean
1: this is a kink okay
0: Oh my gosh, they just <laughs> confess to a cake on air. Um, I love like older women. Just like every every old woman is my grandma. Um and then I thought like, oh, we're gonna get probably this um pleasant story of a loving um old woman with a boy. And then I saw her first scene like what what is she doing? <laughs> she she nasty, like she is looking down like i said looking down on the people and i don't even know if she actually sends the letters and she's also a bit of a liar and like she also prioritizes money and she doesn't care like where to get the money because she sold a child for a tv um when you put it like that it's
1: wonderful isn't it i mean you're telling someone oh you gotta watch this film uh it's about this character you you like her at the end but at the beginning she sells child for a television
0: (laughs) and but that performance by fernanda montenegro is just like you said the film is not just a physical journey it's this character's transformation from an asshole to (laughs) someone with empathy and it's just so natural but you know these kinds of natural quote-unquote natural performances aren't no acting at all you have required a lot of great skill Mm. and it really shows that in each scene she's in command in in a dramatic way you know she knows when to hold back she knows when to go big and It feels like the kind of performance that you would only get from someone with that much experience in acting and in life. And it's just a beautifully drawn character from her. And I haven't seen yet Emily Watson from that lineup, but I really wish Fernanda Montenegro won. She won um, some Critics Awards for Actress, but, you know, Gwyneth is gonna happen for Best Actress. Um... Is there anything I want to say about Central Station? Um, I really did not expect it to be such a journey, and it is completely a character-driven journey of these two characters at odds, and then it, they're just transformed at the end, and I don't want to say like in a cheesy way, but I, I love, I love this character, this performance, and I really like the film. Um... Yeah, from Brazil. And Fernando Montenegro is now 91 years old. Wow. And still active. Really cool. And she actually was part of a TV series that was made during the lockdown. Because her daughter is a Cannes winning actress. So they made at home. Like, can you make things at home now? Um. Yeah, a friend told me that. A Brazilian friend told me that. So, um yeah, I'm, I'm so happy that she got this moment.
1: No, I, I think it's um, it's definitely a recommendation I would give to other people um, because it's got a lot of, you know, it hasn't dated in any way. Yeah. It's, and it's um, it's a real journey and um, the performances are great. Even the kid is really good. Um, In fact, there's a lot of kids in this, uh, in this, what's the word, in the, uh, in the nominations because obviously there's Children of Heaven as well, Um, Josue. Um, yeah, look, and they they're all pretty decent.
0: Yeah, um, I am already watching films for 1995 and I can I, I can say that this decade is full of children in the nominees.
1: <laughs> all right, okay.
0: um yeah, I, I forgot what I was supposed to say uh, with Central Station. um I really forgot, oh my gosh, what time is it? <laughs> so um that's Central Station station oh my gosh so um the other one is children of heaven from iran Mm. this is iran's first nomination in this category it would then go on to win in 2011 and 2016 it is about a boy who rip um who is about a boy who was in charge of of getting her sister's shoes repaired and then because the shoes were misplaced um and it's the start of school so she uh, he is forced to share his shoes with his sister this is all from memory so <laughs> what what do you think of Children of Heaven
1: um it's an interesting film it's quite often these days, especially we talk about uh especially when there's a big sequel. we talk about trying to make the story smaller, get the get, bring it closer, get the stakes smaller. it's just as important to the characters, but it doesn't have to be you know save the world or whatever and Children of Heaven is a film with the smallest stakes. You could possibly imagine it's two little kids sharing a pair of shoes and uh, and finding it difficult to get to where they want to be, to get to school, to get home in time, you know, doing all these running around. There's so much running in this film. It's I mean, it's a good thing about the sound design, like the constant running always sounds quite, it's quite a nice sound, but it's a good thing because there's a lot of it Um kids are constantly running to school running back from school uh, and then it ends with a a big race which is just loads of kids running so yeah I'd, but having said yeah it's a small scale film i also wonder what is it about like i i kind of enjoyed watching it but i don't I think I, it, I didn't come away with anything from it i've you know um I didn't really know what to make of it, what it was trying to say. I just, you know, kind of just enjoyed the story. But I mean, do you do you know what they it's there something that it's trying to get over?
0: I do feel it's about um children um trying to navigate poverty in their level. Mm. Because, you know, the father is struggling. I don't remember if there was a mother.
1: Yeah, she's was... poorly all the time. She's um, got bad back or something.
0: Yeah, so what we see is how those, um how this pair of shoes that were lost is like such a huge thing for them. Uh, it's not even new, it's just repaired. And how it reflects to their um, life, in poverty and education, and how far children would go in this kind of world just to make ends meet. That's probably how I would read it. And I mean, um, that's
1: that's a fair, that's a fair analysis. Um. Uh, yeah. It's it's an interesting film. the The other thing about it is it it begins with its inciting incident in mm-hmm. you know, in terms of a story. Generally, you start with, well, you should, I'm sure you know this, but um, generally a film starts with a normal, then something happens that, makes, that changes their lives and then you see how they react to it. But there is no normal in this film because the first thing that happens is he loses the shoes. Uh, and I found that gave it, uh, instantly, all the kids are really upset all the time. You know, from the get go, you don't see them, you know, having a life where they sort of play and have a nice time or, you know, maybe do, doing chores and things. But it's there's no um, there's no progression from uh, from from one state of affairs to another. It's just instantly. Oh, God, everything is terrible. <laughs> you know, they're crying all the time. Mm-hmm. You've lost my shoes. There's lots of crying. Um, and I found that an interesting thing in terms of a plot, uh, structural kind of point of view, because it, it did it did make clear to me why it's useful to have a, an inciting incident a little bit into the film.
0: Mm-hmm. mm mm-hmm.
1: I see. Um, but, but, I mean, I did like it. It's, it's decent. It's well-acted. Well, acted. I th- well the, the kids in it are... Um, they're okay. I saw your tweet saying you were really impressed with their performances, um, and
3: uh, I don't Oh, know. no. <laughs>
1: Did I miss that? Did I misread that?
0: Yeah, no, I, I think I said something on those lines. Yeah, mm. I'm impressed, yeah.
1: But, but if I, is, even if
0: I didn't tweet it, I'm saying it right now. I'm
1: yeah. impressed. <laughs> but the thing is, I've just watched for, the, um, for my International Oscar Showdown series, Slumdog Millionaire. And do you know what I mean? And those kids in it are just fabulous, um, and and in fact they're the best thing in the film. I, I think I prefer the early stuff in the film to Dev Patel's stuff towards the end, because um, because those kids are just so full of charisma and and energy. And um, you compare that to the kids in Children of Heaven, it's a world apart, isn't it? they they're it's a complete and they're both we're talking about kids in the most abject poverty um and how they uh how they react to being impo- impoverished and um to see the slumdog kids running about playing cricket you know jumping into uh, latrines say of... it
0: say it say it <laughs> shit. say it,
3: say it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> i mean that that stuff is just brilliant and um yeah, it's Children of Heaven is very one note throughout.
0: Mm, I I do get what you mean by by one note because even if I was impressed with the kids, especially the kid from the film, there were certain parts and I'm like, are you okay? Like, <laughs> do do you want to take a breath? Yeah. Um, yeah, it, the the. At, at, at one point like in terms of like plot wise like you know it wastes no t- it wastes no time and like you know the problem is the beginning on the other hand like you said it it came off to you as monotonous because like you didn't see the children in any in any other state they're just already like why did you lose my shoe yeah it's exactly. always that mm-hmm. um i do want to say that um I think the director, Majid Majidi, because I have seen the submission for 99, which is also about a kid. And this is about a kid as well. I think he's really good in directing children in pr- proving these um, heavy material. And I don't know what is happening with these Iranian submissions, but I have seen... Four of the five submissions this decade by Efron, And three of them have kids in trouble. Right. Like what I seen a while ago, The White Balloon, which is I'm going to discuss in the 1995 episode, that is about, it's a different director. It's about a child who was going to buy fish. <laughs> but then she dropped the money. Oh, no in the cellar like kind of a drainage type oh no <laughs> so like there you go another yeah. child in trouble and then in the color well i i what i like the most is actually majid majidi's next film Ninety Eight Ninety Nine, which is the color of paradise which is about um a blind boy who was brought by his father to the province because his father is gonna get married but because his father doesn't want the bride's family to know that he has a blind son. Because it would mean bad omen. He was hiding his son. I think that works well because the plot is clear. And the, and then the setup is also clear. With the white balloon and children of heaven, it starts with the problem. So I, I see where you're going, even though I liked it more. We're fine. Yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, and then what else? Oh, the other two nominees, which is, I'm just going to go really quickly, The Grandfather from Spain, which is about, uh, you know what? I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm just going to read from Wikipedia. It's about uh, a, an aristocrat who is trying to decipher which one of his two granddaughters is from an extramarital affair by his daughter-in-law. I had to read the summary of this film while watching the film because I could not follow what was happening
1: cuz they speak too quickly or something
0: because it's too it's too episodic and they're not even like making chapters it's like one lengthy conversation one lengthy conversation one and it doesn't have a building up so it feels languid in pace but I did check its um IMDB reviews and they were glowing reviews. So maybe there is an audience for this and it did not even win Best Picture in Nagoyas at this at Spain, but
1: Right. I did actually I I, I um I watched the trailer and the trailer made me laugh because uh, it was a it was on IMDb, it's the one on there. Mm-hmm. And um, it's obviously I think it might have been maybe it's miramax but they're obviously campaigning it to americans and um and I, I i transcribed the uh what the the voiceover for the film and there's a bit in it where um you expect uh to be told the um the the obstacles to the characters mm-hmm. and you expect there to be a list of them because of the way he says it and he says uh, it goes um on a mission to discover the truth he'll have to go up against a widow who oh will do gosh. anything to stop him and that's it it's just the widow
0: <laughs> and that i just was thought
1: the 90s. yeah it's very 90s um and it, it it just made me think they they're desperately trying to ramp up the stakes and the obstacles for the um for the trailer but they even then they couldn't do it without sort of making it sound really underwhelming. So although I couldn't, I, I didn't see this film and I, I, um, I wasn't, I, I didn't seek it out too, uh, too hard either. Cause I saw that and I just thought, oh, what is this film going to be? Um, for, who's it for? It just looks really yeah. boring.
0: <laughs> yeah. You're fine. You know what? I was watching it. I'm like, this is not for me. And, but I did tweet something about this film it confused me because it's gorgeous. Oh, really? But I feel nothing about this film. Mm-hmm. I have nothing well, to it, care about this film. The, the main
1: premise is it's about um, finding out, it's Don Rodrigo finding out that one of his granddaughters is illegitimate. And that, to you and I, I expect, is just not that important. Well, you know, yeah, I don't know. a a, um, a so-called bastard child uh i mean it just means nothing so to watch a whole film based on that dishonor um I, I mean we we watch films with stakes that we don't necessarily agree with anyway like you watch anything from elizabethan kind of context there'll be stakes in that that you don't necessarily agree with but um, or
0: to children of heaven. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's,
1: oh, I, that's that's a kind of small stake that you can understand, but something like about, um, you know, finding out your granddaughter is is uh, illegitimate just doesn't interest me.
0: <laughs> yeah, and like you want to talk about real problems, like, yeah, you know, um, I I respect it. I think when I see it, I did feel that it wasn't for me, but I do respect to people who love it because there are things to care about mm. maybe not the story that much to me and it's based on a novel and uh, i didn't know what to use with that information all right so yeah the other film is tango from argentina it was screened in count out of competition it's a you know what? I'm not gonna risk it. I'm just gonna read something. Uh, it's about a theater director who is hired. Am I right? Is hired to direct. Yeah, he's a theater director. He directs. He, to direct this mixture of, uh, like, this dance. You know, I, I give up. I need to search IMDb for this. I, I saw I promise I saw it. I promise. Uh,
1: <laughs> it really stuck with you then, didn't it?
0: Um <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Marius Suarez is a 40-something tango artist whose wife Laura has left him. He leaves the apartment and starts preparing a film about tango. This isn't is it's, Whatever. It's about um a theatre director who is preparing a film about tango and one of the financiers of the tango is, has an eye on another girl. So he was forced to put the girl as the lead of the tango. theater, film, dance, performance. Like a mix of those mediums. I liked it. Okay. That's the ironic thing. I remember more about the grandfather than this. But I, I like this. Um... I like oh it's also nominated for Golden Globe. Oh there you go. Um I do like how the dance is integrated in the storytelling and it um I like it because it's not just a segue. It's not it, the, the, the the story doesn't stop when it does in those dance sequences and it is beautifully filmed if the cinematographer is Vittorio Storaro, which won cinematography for Apocalypse Now. Wow. Um It's beautifully shot, beautifully choreographed. Um, There are things to be interested about in this film, so I'm not gonna lengthen that, because yeah, The Grandfather and Tango are two, they're not really that well-known from this year, but if I'm gonna recommend out of the two, I would say Tango. Um... Yes, <laughs> there are no other films nominated in other categories that were not in English except Fernanda Montenegro for Best Actress. Let's go to submissions. We have 45 submissions this year. Um, as of the moment, we already have like as of the time of recording, we already have like 15 submissions for this year's Oscars. So that's exciting. Um, they have 45 for this year. Um, and, yeah, I'm going to say something later. All right. So um, they disqualified one film, which is The Barber of Siberia from Russia. Because according to <laughs> Wikipedia, but I checked the source, um it was withdrawn because the film was just finished and the film role wasn't able to reach Los Angeles in time.
3: Oh, wow.
0: Cool. Um, it's a very trivial thing now to this point like you're disqualified because of a film role, really yeah. but you know before those were the things like uh, countries were disqualified because they, they forgot paperwork they forgot subtitles they <laughs> got lost you know physical what's physical media um, first timer is kyrgyzstan and lebanon and morocco came back after 20 years of absence let's go through some of these titles the celebration from denmark it won jury prize at Cannes. it won new york film critics los angeles film critics bafta nomination in 1999 Uh, it's part of the dogma 95 movement it's directed by thomas vinterberg it's a dark comedy about a family gathering i haven't seen it so that's it um we did mention one film uh before the recording, mm. Run Lola Run from Germany. It premiered in Venice. It was nominated at BAFTA in nineteen ninety nine. Do you want to tell what is it, what is this about?
1: Uh, I, it's from memory. I haven't watched it for a long, long time, but um, I remember being. I mean, it's just so full of energy and excitement. It's it's um. Oh, let me remember. It's so there's Lola, and she she's in some sort of trouble and I think, is that right? Is it her boyfriend is kidnapped or something? And she has to do something um, in, you know, there's a ticking clock and it's about her um, achieving this goal. God, I can't remember it. I just remember that it, it goes back to the beginning of the film a number of times and she does things slightly differently. Like um, it's, it's kind of like a sliding doors of, um, uh you know german thriller kind of thing um and it's got the if i remember correctly it's the woman from um the born identity um the uh the actress she's lola um yeah but it's then there's the, there's a sequence that's um, animated as well and a, kind of a um, yeah it's a great film but I haven't seen it since it was out, so <laughs> I don't really remember it.
0: Um yeah, I'm I'm also trying to think like what was the crime? Mm. Um yeah, you know, like but you got it right, you know, Lola's boyfriend um is needs to drop off one hundred thousand Deutschmarks Marks by in twenty minutes. So right, she that's finds it. a way to get that money in three versions of the story. Mm um one only one thing i think that the was it inciting incident no the in that it's not even inciting incident there's just one thing that changes when she runs down the stairs mm. and it affects the rest of the of the versions of the story mm. um it i have been here yeah, and the actress is Franca Potente and yes, she is in the Born the Borns um the Born films. It's directed by Tom Tykwer. This film really goes around a lot in film school, oh, but yeah. I haven't seen it at the time. And it's so short, like it is 80 minutes, so Yeah. Like,
1: I remember it being it's... a really short film.
0: It's an episode of Westworld. So there you go. (laughs) It's that short. And I just watched it for this podcast. And I wasn't expecting anything. I didn't know anything. I just know there's a woman with red hair. And I was blown away by this film. I don't know if this would get nominated now. Certainly not before because before they were more leaning into like more traditional types of films and this was really experimental in terms of like form and structure mm. and but oh my gosh. <laughs> this film really is I'm shaking just talking about this film. I love this film. This is this is a freaking classic mm. of just experimenting at the form of film. Mm. It's insane. Anyway, so yeah. Um, also, "Show Me Love" from Sweden. Its original title is "Fucking Amal." Um, we know why that title was changed. <laughs> is that true? Um, it. Yes, that the original title is "fucking um, fucking." Wait, wait, wait! I'm just saying "fucking." I should censor myself at some point. It's 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 it's. It's fucking. Yeah, "Show Me Love" from Sweden. Its original title is Fucking Umul I think that's how you pronounce Like the A with the dot Uh, Fucking Umul Um, Wow It's about (laughs) You can imagine the
1: Nominees being read out And he has to say that And
0: the nominees are (laughs) Fucking Umul From Sweden And Umul is a town In Sweden Right That's why the town Hated the title
3: Oh really
0: fucking us what but you know they use it as a promotion because like tourism started it's about a girl who has a crush on another girl in their high school but she hasn't come out yet but they become friends but they're hiding it because they want they don't want to be accused of being lesbians this is a lovely one Mm. um I don't know if it would we get nominated, but this is really lovely. It won the Teddy Award in Berlin. And in some circles of the internet, this is considered a queer classic. And it's just a very positive thing when when stories about queer stories usually end up in tragedy. This was really such a crowd-pleasing film, right, even okay. if it's in its modest intentions. I'm glad it caught it. It's very 90s, though. I don't know what that means, but it's very 90s. Um and you can see it as a fashion but anyway um, Eternity in a Day from Greece it won Palme d'Or at Cannes it's about famous writer bringing a young boy home I was supposed to watch this but I was tired I did not push through I'm so sorry I know there are fans of this film and then Flowers of Shanghai from Taiwan it also premiered in Cannes and it's about multiple stories in flower houses which only means upscale brothels
1: oh okay
0: Oh. And then August 32nd of Earth from Canada. It won Best Actor the Unset of Regards Section at Cannes. It's directed by Denis Villeneuve. He's a hot property now, so... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Dune was moved. Okay. And then The Dream Life of Angels from Cannes. It won Best. Uh, From France, it won Best Actress at Cannes. It's about two dissimilar girls. That's the only information I got. And then jeans from india it's a romantic comedy and it's the most expensively made film in indian cinema at the time and then the polish bride from the netherlands which got a golden globe nomination it's about a woman hiding from pimps in a farm and then she falls in love with a farmer brilliant (laughs) that's um that's a storyline in something that i've seen before um and then terminus paradis from romania it's won special jury prize it's about a waitress and a swineherd. I don't know what to do with that information. <laughs> and then, Only Clouds Move the Stars from Norway. It won Crystal Bear at the Kinder Film Fest in Berlin. It is about an 11-year-old girl in mourning. And Rosie from Belgium, premiered at Toronto. It's about a teenage girl living with a dysfunctional family. Those last two films from Norway and Belgium got some really good reviews from critics at the time in the united states so and this was the time where like i'm checking here life is beautiful premiered at Cannes. central station premiered in berlin tango premiered in Cannes out of competition iran and the grandfather didn't have one of those big film festivals so this was the time when like you cannot premiere you can choose to not premiere in a film festival and you could probably get nominated because now i think with so many international feature films, you have to land like either Cannes or, Ven- or Venice or Berlin to get noticed. Right. When, you know, the submissions, they were on 45. Now it's 92 <laughs> in the last year that Parasite won. So oh, yeah. you have to stick out. And then, just quick films that were not submitted. Um, Hold You Tight from Hong Kong. It won the Alfred Bauer Prize from Berlin. It's about sexual cross-currents. I don't know what that means. And then Black Cat, White Cat from Serbia, it won Venice Best Director. And then On Guard from France and Live Live, Live Live Flesh from Spain. Both got BAFTA nominations. Men with Guns is an American film, but it's not in English. It, go- it got Golden Globe. There you go. That's the year. In right. world cinema, I'm sure I failed in some ways, but I tried. I'm sorry already. Um, I've f- I, I say that because I forgot to mention in the 1999 episode that I forgot to mention Bo from from Claire Denis, which is now a classic and it's now in Criterion. I forgot, that, so I'm so sorry. I <laughs> it's hard, it's hard to compress world cinema in two hours. I'm it, sorry.
1: That I'm sorry. sounded a comprehensive list. I think that's uh, I think you've done well there
0: thank you so you know what let's get down to this do you think life is beautiful I just segue to the question like, in a concept manner do you think life is beautiful is a deserving winner of the best foreign language film category
1: uh yeah I do I think it's I think it's a classic I think it's one of the um, most original uh, films to come out of uh, this category, um, I think it does things that no other film has done since, um, and it's a piece of art of itself. It's you know completely um, very difficult to compare, compare it with anything else because it's so tonally uh, and um, narratively uh, unique. So. In just in terms of that I think that's a pretty puts it in pretty good stead but it's also created very um, efficiently and uh, you know it's, it's a lovely looking film um, and what we're talking about in in terms of their competition I think Central Station was a a big potential um, you know competition and um, I don't know if it's better I mean I, by the end of by the end of life is beautiful I was weeping like a baby like, and it, in a way that I haven't wept at a film for you know I don't think I've ever wept like that it, it, watching anything else it's just so impactful at the end when you see the hideousness of what happens and then the joy of a little boy who's made it through it. And, uh, and thinks he's won a game. I mean, it's just marvellous. So I think, yeah, it, the way it made me feel and the way uh, it's made, I think its it was a deserving winner. Um, so yeah. What about you?
0: I am still the same old person that got a fever after crying. <laughs> after, after crying from Life is Beautiful when I first time I saw it. Now, it just made the experience richer. Mm. Um, I, I I treasure this film. I'm like any other, I think. Um, things about this film just makes me feel deeply. Um, the closest thing that we have a comparison now is Jojo Rabbit. In terms of like comedy and Holocaust. Yeah. yeah but...
1: Yeah, I was going to mention that, and there, there was another one that's, um, I think on Netflix they made a film called uh, "Look Who's Back," which is about um, Hitler coming back into modern day, and it's kind of a screwball comedy. You know, so people are starting now to to make jokes about Hitler. I mean, Jojo Rabbit is about Hitler rather than the Holocaust, right? Yeah. Um, so I think people are more willing to make jokes about the fascist leaders than they are about the Holocaust. But there's certainly uh, more of it happening now. I see what you're saying.
0: Yeah. And if Jojo Rabbit was was really criticized now, I cannot imagine Life is Beautiful being released now. Yeah. People would read a synopsis without seeing it. Like, oh my gosh, it's making fun of the Holocaust. Oh my yeah. gosh, I'm canceling it. So That's right. I'm glad it was released at the time and I'm glad that it was embraced in a major way by the Academy. I'm not going to ask you if life is beautiful or Shakespeare in love. That's for your, <laughs> I can't wait. Of... I'm really looking yes. forward to writing that.
1: It's going to be really uh, interesting because, well, I, I have to watch Shakespeare in love again because, uh, I, I don't remember it being, I don't remember it blowing, it blowing it, blowing me away. So, um, I, it will be an interesting one to compare that with, uh, with life is beautiful
0: yeah definitely and um you've seen three of the five uh you said a while ago that you don't know if it's uh life is beautiful is better than central station i do i but think, it, I think
1: it is but in it oh it is i think it is better than central station i just think um i mean that's that's so different but life is beautiful was more impactful mm-hmm. even even though i think um central station is probably a, a it's a more adult film, I suppose. It's more um, uh, narratively complex, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I loved it. But I think probably Life is Beautiful is superior in, in a lot of ways.
0: So just to, just to be clear, yeah. <laughs> so cards in, on the in table a ra- in a ranking. Yeah, um, you're because my five is the grandfather and my four is angle. Your number three would be Children of Heaven. Yes. Your number two would be?
1: Central Station.
0: And your number. We have the same. Ta da! I think. Oh it, my gosh.
1: I don't think that that's a very controversial ranking. I think it's very. Um, I think they are quite obviously, um, you know, in that order because they're, they're just the way they make you feel. Um, you know, Children of Heaven is nice to watch, but it doesn't make you feel much and central station more so (laughs) and life is beautiful just makes you just rips your guts out um so yeah i think that's i think that's a um i think that's probably a a good way of ranking them
0: there you go and um yeah thank you so much for coming to this episode it was really i mean i've been talking to you for like months like trying to, to find a film for us to talk i'm so happy to have able to do this
1: i'm glad it's this film it's that that's um yeah really uh it's an honor to talk about this film um and uh and the ones that came around it because um it's just there's so much to talk about i noticed we've been talking for about over two hours
0: yeah we're already longer than the film already so um you're free to come back anytime we can select the film together again to come back um can you tell our listeners again, where can they find you and your work?
1: Yeah, they go to uh, internationaloscarshowdown.wordpress.com. That's got links to all of the uh, articles that I've written so far. Um, and uh, Or you can find me on Twitter. Although after watching The Social Dilemma, I have um, kind of oh taken my... my have you, are you taking yourself off some of uh, social media? I've been really backing myself away from it a bit. I deleted Twitter off my phone. And
0: um I haven't seen it. Oh my god.
1: Oh yeah, it's it it's just the way that they have designed all of social media to uh, to keep pulling you back in. Just like uh Godfather Part Three, you know, you think you're out <laughs> and they every time Pull I, me back. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so i watch it, um unless you really want to stay on social media without the guilt. Um But it really, really quite affected me. But anyway, I am on Twitter, but I try to limit my time on there. Um, At Tim underscore Kimber. Uh, And I'm, uh, yeah, talk about films and politics and all sorts of bits and bobs. But that's where I am,
3: yeah.
0: Yes, please check that one out, International Oscars Showdown. You know what? That's going to be like a great pairing for this podcast. Like, I I don't know what you want to do
1: Like quite often um, listening to the episodes when i've been watching one of these films listening to your podcast to see what you and your guests have have thought of them because you uh, quite often come up with stuff that i hadn't thought about um so uh yeah it's been it's been handy finding your podcast
0: thank you and i hope this is like especially like when you go back to the other because the 90s I don't know I mean we you're gonna you're, we are uh, a lot of people are familiar with All About My Mother and Life is Beautiful but oh my gosh in the other years I would love to read your thoughts on the other years the following years ago not just the 90s but in the lesser known years mm. um, oh my god I can't wait to see your reviews Are like ah, oh, that's what he thinks huh
3: <laughs> well I'm looking okay.
1: forward to those so um, yeah if I'll keep writing them if you keep reading them
0: Yay, there you go. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Carlos Ojano, but I don't know if I'm going to change my time on Twitter because of the social (laughs) dilemma as you recommended. You can find this podcast at One Inch Barrier uh, on Twitter. It's available everywhere as far as I'm concerned. Like I'm scared of where my podcasts are going because I have no control anymore. Um, Again, please check this podcast, The One Inch Barrier on Patreon. Lot of lots of great stuff coming, I promise. And uh, this is a goodbye for now. Again, I hope you are all staying safe and staying healthy and together. Let us break the one-inch barrier.